here we are, uh, back for episode 17 of the Used Gamers. That needs to be a thing now. And um, we've got a few things to talk about this time. Um, kind of a, a, a hodgepodge of stuff. We're going to talk about uh, the new Zelda title for the 3DS, which has been reviewing spectacularly. Um, we're going to talk about a bunch of Borderlands 2 DLC, because they've been going uh, all over with a lot of really small DLCs, which is... Um, Kind of interesting idea. Uh, we're going to talk about a mobile game in Dragon Age Heroes, because if Bioware makes something, Mike won't not play it. So, <laughs> there you go. And then Gone Home, um, we'll get to NPC. And then um, we have uh, an interesting topic we want to talk about, about kind of, we're calling it the easy button. But it's about uh, the challenge in games, and kind of where they're going with that, because... Um, well, we'll talk about it. We'll get there. So, um, but we're going to start off with game reviews. So first, um, Chris, you're the one that played Zelda, and this yes. is a 3DS title, Zelda, A Link Between Worlds. Oh my god, you guys, this game is amazing. So so basically, you <laughs> know, yeah. the, the end of the like, year, you know, we've been so spoiled as people who play video games the last couple of years. Like, oh. every year has just gotten kind of crazier than the year before, and... You know, this one week period at the end of November this year was kind of like, you know, unless you were Donald Trump, you couldn't afford to take uh, advantage of everything. But the same day that the Xbox One launched um, and all of the titles that came with that, um, Nintendo decided to do this like one two punch of these gigantic releases of uh, Super Mario 3D World for the Wii U and uh, Legend of Zelda Link Between Worlds on the 3DS. Now, the Zelda game is essentially. They're calling it, it's not a sequel, they're calling it a spiritual successor to A Link to the Past, which many people will agree is one of the best games ever made, period. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. Number one for a lot of people, and mm -hmm. it's right up there for me, too. Yeah, me and, too. And this game kind of hits this sweet spot of taking everything you loved about the classic sort of 16 and 8-bit top-down adventure Zelda games and melding it with things that are only sort of now possible with modern technology. So there's not a lot that I need to talk about as far as story. Turns out you're this little kid who wears green named Link who has to save the world from Ganon. And, I mean, it's the same story. Wait, wait, is there is a Triforce? princess named Zelda? There may be a princess named Zelda. Is there a master Zelda? sword? There may be this, this, this master... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, all these things. Are there Pegasus boots? Is there a boomerang? Is there a hookshot? Yeah. <laughs> these things haven't changed. You know, essentially, the, the only thing that makes this game unique... Well, it's a couple different things. Um, number one, there's the mechanical differences. And the thing that sort of makes this game unique compared to uh, the game that it's sort of ostensibly following up is the fact that you now have this uh, this really weird ability to merge into walls. You can uh, basically make yourself a 2D drawing on the walls in just about any area in the game. And it's it's a functional thing. It allows you to sort of traverse between areas that you wouldn't normally be able to get around. So maybe you can't get from one half of a room to another, but there's an open window that's kind of just too small for you to fit through. Well, you can meld yourself into the wall, become a painting, sort of move in two dimensions through the open window, and pop back into 3D on the other end of the wall. The fact that this is on a system that has 3D capabilities is really, really well implemented. I mean, uh, for a lot of games that I play on my 3DS, I basically just bump the 3D down to nothing. And, um, because it doesn't really take anything away from most games. But mm -hmm. Nintendo, in their first party games, seems to have really figured out how to utilize that 3D technology to where it's, it's really, really pretty impressive. I mean, the whole time I'm playing this game, 
I'm looking at the screen, and if I'm in just that perfect, you know, sweet spot of the glasses less 3D, it just looks like you're looking down into this little, like, shoebox diorama where this little, like, world is happening inside your handheld. It's fantastic. The game runs at 30 or 60 frames a second for the whole game, which a lot of the big, like, next-gen titles can't even claim that they can lock in that kind of frame rate. So it moves... Super, super smooth. Um, I was just realizing the other day, one of the things that makes it unique compared to other Zelda games is that Link, and this sounds silly, but it makes a big difference. He can swing his sword as fast as you can push the button. So if you can push the button like 20 times a second, that's how fast you can slash your sword through things. Which for this game is fun because you might have a lot of enemies, but you might also just have a lot of shrubbery and grasses that you want to just sort of cut through because that's where rupees are hiding and that's where heart containers and fairies are hiding so it's just these little things that make it easier to get through the world i mean the story yeah it's it's the same story you know basically the only difference is they have to sort of explain away why you can you know turn into a painting on the wall Mm -hmm. it's a cool way to help you get around it but you know the other thing that makes it different um structurally is uh item acquisition because traditionally at least in you know the sort of most mainstream Zelda titles, you know, you have to make your way through a series of dungeons. And the reason you're doing that is to get the pieces of the Triforce. And every dungeon usually is kind of tied to a specific item that you you just happen to get either in or right before you go to that dungeon. And what do you know, it's super important to, for defeating the boss <laughs> of that dungeon. What makes this game different is that very, very shortly after the start of the game... Uh, you have a character, this weird little rabbit merchant thing, that moves into your house, the same house that you wake up in in this game, which is the same house you woke up in in A Link to the Past. Nice. Um, he moves into your house. He basically says, hey, I don't have a place to stay. Can I crash at your place? And you're like, okay, I'm going to go adventure. You can stay at my house, I guess, weird rabbit thing. And um, he decides to like start a shop in your house, which you didn't give him permission for. But um, basically, <laughs> right from the outset you have the ability to access basically every item that would be in a normal Zelda game. Not all of them, but most of them. So, you know, your bow and arrow, your boomerang, your hook shot, your, you know, uh, your ice rod, your fire rod, you can get all those items right away at the very beginning of the game. The way you do that is through a rental system. So for a very small amount of rupees, you can rent these items, which basically means that it goes into your inventory and it stays there the whole time in, unless you die. If you die, then he comes and takes the items back. So when you respawn, <laughs> you don't have them anymore. Now, if you've played these Zelda games before, you have a pretty good idea of how the character controls, how the enemies move, and, I mean, to the point that even... Some of the bosses of the dungeons are basically exactly the same as they were in A Link to the Past, which sometimes feels like cool and nostalgic, other times feels kind of like weird and lazy because we've already done this before. <laughs> right. But it, it, it's not the most difficult game in the world. I mean, it, if you knew what you were doing and you knew how to get around, you could get through a majority of the game without dying. So I loaded up on buying every item that I could and made it to a certain point in one of the dungeons where I actually did die and lost everything. But it's not that expensive. As you make your way through the game, I think two or three dungeons in, you go to visit the guy at the shop, he goes, oh, you know what? Remember how I was renting you this stuff? Like, that's cool. You can still come rent this for 80 rupees, but if you give me a 1,000, I'll sell it to you. And then it's just permanently a part of your inventory. Uh So I think what's cool is there's always, like... 
there, you know, these treasure chests are all over the world, and a lot of them only contain rupees, but I feel like for the first time in a Zelda game, like, the currency actually means something. Like, right. it actually is important that you're acquiring a ton of money, because you can use it to buy these items. And essentially what that lets you do is you can take on the dungeons of the game in any order you want to. So that's kind of cool, because now you don't have to make this sort of linear progression through an open world like zelda's always been an open world but you kind of had to go from point a to point b to point c because the items were always tied to those dungeons but now you can tackle it in any order you want so it's really cool so they've had to design it in such a way that you can kind of go wherever you want do whatever you want it also means that the difficulty level of the dungeons is basically the same for all of them so Mm -hmm. they don't really get that much harder as you go through it but it's cool because it, it just gives you the ability to sort of take things on in a way that you want to, in a way that I feel like the games haven't done before. So, I mean, it's essentially the same game. The music is fantastic. There's a lot of original music. There's a lot of music from older games. A lot of times they kind of mix the two together. So you're hearing a new song and it sounds, ah, that's kind of cool. Kind of sounds familiar. And then like, as it keeps going, you're like, wait a second. Oh, I know, that's the Water Temple theme. Like, it's, it you know, pulls into something from an old game. So there's a huge amount of nostalgia factor involved in it. And, and like Jared said, I mean, this game is being bandied about, like, like this as, like, a serious contender for, like, game of the year. Like, mm-hmm. we have these new consoles that have just launched that are capable of amazing things. But, like, this game, for a lot of people, is, is like, the game of the year. I mean, mm-hmm. the game of the decade, you know, for a lot of people. I mean, this is... This is a follow-up to a very, very beloved, you know, specific title in a very beloved franchise. I feel like we as a people will forgive Zelda games a lot because, you know, they're kind of locked into the DNA of what, you know, modern gaming is. Like, it's just part of, you know, what we do and who we are. So the fact that they can kind of find this fun balance of, like, something old with new things, which I guess you could argue, like, every Zelda game since the first one has always been old things with a couple new things thrown in. It's just a ton of fun. And this is what I've always said, you know, is is what's going to keep Nintendo around forever, is, you know, say what you will about their hardware, and they do some stupid things and make some really dumb decisions, but their games are just so freaking fun. And it's just, it's it's it just gets you in that place where you just want to keep <laughs> playing. So I'm probably halfway done with it. I'm sure I'll plow through the rest of it in a pretty short period of time. And I, uh, you know, I'll, I'll offer my thoughts for that once we get to that point. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just sort of that pure sort of gaming joy. Like uh, games can offer so many different things now. And we'll talk about that even with some of the games that we're going to talk about in this mm-hmm. episode. But, um, yeah, just that sort of pure nostalgic fun factor. Like it's, it's just a great game. So. If anybody wants to borrow the old 3DS after I'm done with this, I'm happy to have you guys check it out because it's it's just a blast. Oh, nice. Well, you know, I think we could see something like that with Game of the Year because I, I I know some what was it the VGAs last year? It was the Walking Dead one, didn't it? And yeah, it's a downloadable title. So yeah, yeah I, I love that's all the, the avenues thing is, um, we're games from. Downloadable titles were huge last year. You know, indie games are becoming really big. You yeah. know, like Gone Home did really well. So I think it is kind of opened up these avenues to different styles of games rather than just your you know, Call of Duties. And, yeah, which is great. Right, more for us. All right, so um, back to a bigger game, though. and uh, But smaller versions of this game, actually. So Borderlands 2 has come out with a slew of DLC. Um, they've gotten through the season pass, and they came out with first, which was the um, their next upgrade that got you a level cap increase and added an area. And when the level cap increase... Um, no, I'm sorry. They already increased to level 72 already. 
Yeah. What it added was called Digistruct Peak. And what that did is they didn't want to up the levels anymore. And basically, like, when they asked them why, they said, well, we, we there's no more powers for you to get. Like, there's, <laughs> the skill trees kind of ended. So instead, what they did is they made this, this area called Digistruct Peak, where if you can play through it on the hardest level of difficulty, on the uh, Ultimate Vault Hunter mode difficulty, because um, you can play it in the earlier modes, but it doesn't really get you almost anything. You can be on that level of difficulty, it increases you from level 72, if you're already there, to over level power 1. And 2 and so forth, unto overpower level 8. Which essentially, each one of those is a level, so that's like being level 80. And although, and you're saying, well why level if you don't get anything? Well what you can get is you can use then higher level loot. So that's what it did. Um, and I actually ended up playing, uh, I do have a lot, I think I'm the only one. I have a level 72 character, and I played through some Digistruct Peak. And it's neat, you know, it's a cool thing. It's kind of a horde mode kind of thing. It's kind of like these different staging areas. When you go into one, it'll be a themed kind of horde. So, like, you go into one area, and it's like skags and wild monsters. You can get through that. You go to the next area, it's a lot more humans that are kind of hoarding at you. Get through that. Then it's going to be a lot of machines. Get through that, you fight bosses. And if you can beat that boss, it was incredibly hard. And it's designed to be played with four people. And I didn't get over level. I didn't beat overpower level one, even. Um, it's designed to be played with four 72-level characters. Um, then you go to over-level power one. So um, I played through some of that. That was a neat idea. Kind of cool. I like that. Um, but then the DLCs that came out after that were kind of these little nuggets of DLCs. And they, yeah, they were called the Headhunter Packs. Headhunter Packs. Because the idea was you were trying to beat this boss and then it and unlocked a, a, a head customization for you as well. And I know, Mike, you got to play through a couple of these. I played yes. through the first two. The most recent one that just came out, I haven't gotten to play with, so maybe we'll we'll hit that one up on the next episode. But um, the first one that came out, they kind of came out with the three major holidays for the fall. So the first one was TK Baja's Bloody Harvest, so that one was for uh, Halloween. Um, and of course it starred TK Baja, a very beloved character of the Borderlands universe, so everybody was glad to see him come back. Which, at the end of the first game, if you didn't know, because this was in a DLC, he was a zombie. So, and he's still a zombie in this one, and he's go. made an arrangement with this town where um, he kind of protects them from, like, zombies and evil stuff, and they give him this candy, I guess, that tastes like brains. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so you can live off of that. So the whole idea is that there's this evil jack-o'-lantern king that you have to go kill. He's the boss. So you go through this quick little level of a, you know, it's just a couple of uh, missions and stuff like that. It has a lot of enemies from, you know, other parts of the game, and... Um, and this one was kind of interesting because there were all these jack-o'-lanterns everywhere, and since it's Halloween, if you break open the jack-o'-lanterns, it gives you candy, and the candies give you different boosts. Very similar to the shrines from the Assault on Dragon's Keep, mm -hmm. although these, you didn't have to pay Iridium. You just pick them up, and they either make you faster or hit harder or do more damage with your bullets or whatever. Um, but it was a lot of fun. It's a quick little thing. I mean, all of these have been, they're very short. You can do them in like an afternoon, as long as you're not playing it on. Like an hour or two, I think. Yeah, if even that. If you're playing on like a, a difficulty lower than you. And then at the end, yeah, you get a head. So for the first one, for TK Bajas, you got a pumpkin head. So you could basically make your guy have a jack-o'-lantern on his head. So that was kind of cool. It was a fun little thing. It had a lot of TK kind of jokes to it. Although the guy who does the voice of TK is different. From the first game. Oh, is it? So oh, it sounds a little off, you know. So it's a little, it's a little bothering at first, but you kind of get over it. So that one was a lot of fun, you know. They're very simple, little, basic kind of games. The next one that I just got to play through, I, I enjoyed a lot more, and that was the Horrible Hunger of the Ravenous Waddle Gobbler, which obviously was about Thanksgiving, and it starred my favorite character, Mister Torg Flexington, mm -hmm. um, and you also got to meet his grandmother. 
Um, so Granny Flexington. <laughs> so uh, it was very interesting because basically the Torn Corporation holds this tournament, and the champion is the Waddle Gobbler. Well, you, as the Vault Hunters, enter the, the tournament. Well, since Torg likes you so much, he wants to help you out, and he tells you that the Waddle Gobbler is invincible. So he decides to help you poison the Waddle Gobbler so that you know you can win this, this match. So it's all going through basically trying to, to take care of this Waddle Gobbler before you go in for the final battle. And it's just kind of interac- interacting with Torg, and you, you get to meet the president of the Torg Corporation who doesn't really like Torg. You know, he thinks he's an idiot and does lots of stupid stuff, which kind of does. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he, like, sold the corporation for, like, a high five. You know, it, it's it's great. So, you know, and Torg and him keep going back and forth. So it's all of the Torg comedy. If you guys are really in, if you did, you know, the... Uh, you know, Mr. Torg's uh, um, expansion, or even the a Dragon's Keep, which he was in. If you enjoy that character, it was really great. Um, the final boss, um, both of the bosses for these are very kind of chaotic. It's lots of, there's lots of little mini summon guys, while there's also the big boss running around, and they do lots of big attack modes. Even playing it as, like, when I played it in the second, the true Vault Hunter mode, not Ultimate. And I'm like level, I, was, I think I was like level 52 when I did Bloody Harvest, and I was 55 when I did this one. And both of them still gave me, you know, a run for my money. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on, it's a little chaotic, and, and they can be a little tough. Um, they don't really drop anything really that spectacular, besides you get the, the, the head customization. Mm-hmm. Which, the one for the Waddle Gobbler is really weird, it's this demonic turkey head that you can put on your guy, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of really, really kind of scary almost. Um, but, um, they're both really fun. They were only two ninety nine a piece. So, I mean, for just a couple hours of Borderlands, I'll, I'll pay three bucks. Yeah, I mean, Borderlands cool. is great, especially the entertainment you get out of it. It's really funny. You get new raid bosses with both of them. Um, so, you know, if you're really into doing those big ones, um, those are fun. So, and then the next one that just came out is How Marcus Saved Mercenary Day. So, um... I'm guessing this has to do with Christmas, Christmas obviously, and if Marcus is going to be the main character, so it should be an interesting one. I'll try to try it out, maybe hopefully before the next podcast, so I can talk about it then. But I would say, yeah, if you're really into Borderlands, uh, Borderlands, and you really just want to get a little bit extra and spend a couple of bucks, I think it's worth it. Yes, yeah, so you can get yeah. five or six hours a game for five or six dollars. I mean, that's yeah, that's yeah. not bad at all. Yeah, I, I think they're think... actually on sale now. For yeah, the, I think um, the at least on X- at least on Xbox, I yeah. saw they're doing a like twelve days of Christmas, and I think um, a lot of Borderlands DLC is on there. So, so yeah, yeah. check it out. And, yeah, I um, think the Psycho is like five dollars too if you want yeah. an extra character. So <laughs> anyway, um, by the way, I have to give one beef to Borderlands. They put out a lot of material and. There has been no new achievements for a long time. Yeah, I noticed me. that too. That really twists my nipples. I'm telling you, like, I I'm at level seventy two, and I should have gotten something for that. Like every time you go up the level cap, I want to get something for increasing the level cap. Or even when you make just new raid the hunters when you beat these bosses yeah. or just do the levels. Yeah, there's no. I, I even looked. And I'm like, why am I not getting achievement pops? I'm telling I you, I love my achievement pops. I love it. Hmm. Look at that guy. He had almost a million achievements. He got to go to the Xbox release and got his own. He got one of the white Xbox ones. One of the employee ones. Yeah. yeah. So listen, hey, come on, Gearbox. If you want up. us to get a million achievement points, you got to give us. You got to give us achievement. And it's been a long. There have been several things put out. Not since Tiny Tina have they had any achievements. And they put out the overpower level stuff. All these little mini things. A lot of stuff mm-hmm. um, has come out. So come on. <laughs> all right. Anyway, that's the school. Um, 
Next, we're going to talk about a game that is... We don't talk about a lot of PC stuff, but this one's on PC. That Chris got a chance to play that um, has been getting some some real good buzz, which was uh, Gone Home. Yeah, the anti-Borderlands 2. I, I don't know, yeah. but it's like it can't be any more different than that game. Which, I love that game. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, Borderlands is fantastic. But, um, yeah, so similarly to last year, before we kind of wrapped up the year, like I decided one night to sort of jump in and play Journey on... PlayStation because it was sort of this little game experience that everyone said was perfect in its own way and special and really cool and I just you know I didn't know much about it so jumped in and it was it was amazing it was fantastic and so you know as the sort of audience for gaming expands and as you know indie teams get more and more prevalent you know we're just seeing this like variety of experiences that we really haven't seen before I mean mm-hmm. there's all kinds of crazy things you can interact with and, you know, whether or not you want to call it a game, because some people don't with some of these, but you can have these experiences that are very, very different. And one that consistently I kept hearing people talk about was this game Gone Home. Um, now, just to, off the bat, what do you guys know about this game? Or do you know anything about I know this almost game? nothing. All I know is that it's an indie game and that it won Best Indie Game of the Year, the VGX, and that's really about it. Yeah, okay. Okay, good. That's good. And and part of this sort of review is going to be very similar to what I had to say about Walking Dead in that there's very little that I can sort of say about it. Mm. But um, But I think there are some things about it that have become relatively common knowledge, so it's not terribly spoilery. Now... One of the game franchises that we've brought up quite a bit in our short history is the Bioshock franchise. Uh One of my favorite video game franchises ever in history. And I really, really like Bioshock 2, which is a very unpopular opinion to have because it was made by a different studio, 2K Marin. Now, um, even though Irrational Games didn't make the sequel, I thought it was just about every bit as good as the first one. Better in some ways, but there was a downloadable... Uh, add-on to the second game called Minerva's Den. This standalone story that really had nothing to do... Well, it, it had some things to do, but it was completely separate from the border, from the um, Bioshock 2 story. And it was this, like, five-hour little experience, and it's one of the best, like, video game stories ever. Like, I cannot recommend enough to anyone that if you have... Bioshock 2, which if you don't, you can get it for like $6 at GameStop now. It's ridiculously cheap. I don't know why. And then you can download this little thing for a couple more dollars. It's it's fantastic. It's perfect. And I really can't talk much about it because it's, it's all sort of about its story. But, you know, Bioshock Infinite kind of came under fire recently because it had this crazy amazing story, which Jared and I spoiled the living daylights out of in one of our more recent episodes. That was just really just insane. Just this crazy roller coaster story, but was also a first person shooter. Bioshock Infinite just won Best Shooter at the VGX Awards, Mike mm-hmm. told me. Which is funny because the shooter mechanics, eh, they were serviceable. All right. yeah. yeah, it was fine. But um but there's this weird sort of uh like this great story happening at the same time where, you know, you're trying to tackle all these big philosophical ideas. But at the end of the day, the way you interact with the game is still you're blowing people's heads off. Like, that's still what you're doing. So, the idea, and the reason I bring all this up is because the company that made Gone Home is a studio of four people called the Fulbright Company that are the people that made the Minerva's Den DLC for Bioshock 2. Um, Some of them went on to work, some of them worked on the main Bioshock 2. Others, after that, went on to work on Bioshock Infinite. So they had a pretty significant relationship with that series. 
but then decided that they wanted to kind of go off and do their own thing and make their own game. And what they've essentially done is taken Bioshock and removed all of the combat mechanics from it. So the basic idea behind Gone Home is you play as a girl named Caitlin. It's a first-person game, so 3D first-person perspective, where um, you've been on a trip uh, to Europe uh, because you're like in your early 20s and you're just doing your little backpacking across Europe thing. Um, and you're coming home to your family's house uh, in 1995, and you come home to find that nobody's in your house. Now, it's kind of weird because I, I think the way the story works is while you've been gone on this trip, your family has moved into a new home. So you're coming back to a house that's not what you think of as your home. It's a new house. And as you're walking around, there's boxes everywhere. and You see boxes with your stuff in it, even though you've never been in the home before. You walk into this house and nobody's there. And essentially, the whole point of the story is just figure out what happened to your family, and that's it. It sounds ridiculous. And, but the, the basic idea is they call it, I think they call it a story exploration adventure. That's kind of the genre that they're saying it fits into. So if you think about the way you walk through a Bioshock game and you unlock, you know, the Vodafones or the audio logs that kind of tell the story, you know, there's no cutscenes. It kind of, you know, you just find these little snippets of information in the world and that kind of helps to flesh out like everything that's going on in the story. This is basically nothing but that. So you're, you, you essentially are walking through the game just opening drawers, looking under beds, opening closets, and just trying to piece together this narrative of why, why, why is nobody home? Like, that's really all this game is. Um, when it was all said and done, I think I played through it in about, I think it was like three hours, 45 minutes was my game clock. Uh, which it felt a lot longer than that um, because the house ends up being a little more expansive than it first looks like. And um, and what's really cool is there's sort of a critical path for the story where you're trying to... The, the main sort of story is you're trying to figure out kind of what's going on with your little sister. That sort of seems to be the biggest part of it, but you also don't know where your parents are. And every character in the story your sister, your parents, you, and the person that you bought the house from, um, all have their own kind of stories going on, where if you don't choose to pursue finding out more about it, you don't have to find out more about it. I mean, the game definitely has an ending, and it only has one ending. Like, you can't get to different outcomes. There is one ending for the game. Um, but you can sort of learn as much or as little about it as you want. I like dug through every nook, cranny and crevice of this entire house because that's how I play the Bioshock games. Mm -hmm. They take me forever to play because I want to see everything because they like make these amazing worlds. You know, this game graphically is not on the level of a Bioshock game. I mean, even, you know, my little laptop had to chug through it, but I mean, it, it's still, it, it, it's not going to win any awards for prettiest game ever. <laughs> but it has won a lot of awards for story and narrative and PC. And I think it's because I've never had a game experience where the story of what's going on kind of unfolds in the way that it does. I mean, this game has the rare distinction 
of being something that my wife noticed me playing about an hour and a half before it was over, and she just completely put down everything else she was doing and just sort of knelt down on the ground next to me and, like, made me tilt the monitor so she could see it as well as I could <laughs> and help me kind of piece together the story of what was going on. There's one character in particular that there's no clear explanation of what your relationship is to this situation, and she's like, you know what I think it is? I think it's X, Y, Z. And we went, oh my God. And we kind of went back through all the evidence that we collected. And like, we got to piece this story together where my wife doesn't play video games Mm -hmm. with the exception of, you know, maybe the odd cooking mama title on her (laughs) pink DS that she has. Um, But I mean, it was really cool to kind of try to solve this mystery. And it's not a mystery in the sense of like a murder mystery, but it's just, it's really creepy and unsettling being in this house in a thunderstorm in Portland, Oregon, um, where, you know, every, the whole house is lights out when you get into it. And while it's not necessarily like a survival horror game, I definitely made sure the first thing I did in every room was figure out where the lights were and turn on all the lights. Cause it's just, <laughs> it was just unnerving enough to want to be there. I mean, it's, you know, the audio definitely plays into it. Very, very little music, but a lot of ambient audio. And it was funny because there was numerous occasions when I was trying to be reached for something and I'd hear a floorboard creak and I'd sort of just clench up and freeze and go, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, what's going on here? So I, I just kind of have never really played a game like it because I don't think there's ever been a game like it. So one of the biggest criticisms has been that it's it's a relatively expensive game. I mean, um, you know... Rarely do we get a deal like the Borderlands, you know, experiences where, like Mike said, for a couple bucks, you can have a couple hours worth of fun. A lot of downloadable titles are kind of in this 10 to $15 range now, mm-hmm. which is like a barrier of entry for some people. It's kind of like, that's a bit too expensive for like five or six hours. It's kind of a... But um, this game, uh, unless it's on sale, I think it's $20. Mm-hmm. So $20 for like maybe four hours again yeah it's it, it's it's expensive i mean it's kind of expensive and it's not a gameplay that's gonna attract everybody like that's a, uh, yeah it's and it, it's very specific it's, people. i think so and especially once you get into like what the specific subject matter is when you plow through it yeah it, it's 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 not for everybody but it's really cool because you know what you've done is you've essentially with a few scraps of paper and these like random audio cassettes that are laying around that belong to your little sister and just you know newspaper clippings or things that you find in your parents dresser drawers like you put this whole story together and it was like I remember a particular moment where I found this pamphlet and I was like oh my god do you remember I told you my parents were doing this thing this is what they're actually doing. And so it's like, I'm having to like tie all this stuff together and you've got like an inventory screen so you can go back and look at some of your items. But the game is so short that you can basically hold all that stuff in memory. Like you don't have to go back and like remember a hundred passwords or, Mm -hmm. you know, there's some of that in there, but it moves briskly enough. I mean, I played the game in two sittings, two consecutive nights and the whole thing was done basically because a friend of mine on Facebook had said, man, I just played through this game and you know what? Everybody's right. I'm like, it's just sitting on my computer. I need to play this thing. Because I was able to get it for like $7 on a Steam sale or something. So I didn't pay that much for it. Um, I would pay $20 for it now that I know what the experience is like. But but yeah, I mean, I, I really can't say much more about that. I think what's cool is that as these sort of indie titles become more and more prominent, 
you can get a small number of people with a very, very specific idea that they want to explore, and they don't have to tailor it to fit every audience. Mm-hmm. They don't have to make it have uh, great action or uh, tons of amazing voice acting. This game does have fantastic voice acting. Um, but uh, but it can just be this exploration of a very, very specific idea, which, you know, sometimes that kind of thing will lead us to a game like Portal 2, you know? I mean, the, the expansion of a very small idea mm-hmm. that started as like a mod to another game, you know, becomes this like really amazing idea. So yeah, I mean, I, I can't say a heck of a lot more of it, but like, like we pointed out, I mean, this game garnered a tremendous amount of buzz and you know, when, when these little games, you know, trump gigantic, you know, call of duties and things like that for being the most quote unquote impressive game experience of the year, it's a very unique game experience and one that I think most people would be very interested to check out. So definitely keep an eye out for Gone Home. It shows up on sale all the time. If you can get it for 10 bucks, if you can get it for 20 bucks, it's worth it. Support those guys. But you can get it for a lot cheaper than that. Maybe bundled with some other games for, you know, significantly cheaper than that. But definitely it's something that, you know, just about any computer would probably be able to run to. I played it with my PS4 or my PS3 controller plugged into my computer. So. I didn't have to use uh, the dreaded mouse and keyboard, which I've never been very good at. So (laughs) it's just a really, really fun experience. So I just want to sort of whet everybody's appetite uh, and and give them something to think about. So a very specific game and one that I think people are going to be able to kind of look back on, you know, in the future and go, you know, this was something that started doing something different. So I'm kind of curious to see what these guys do next. All right. Check it out. Well, cool. Very fun. And then, all right, so this next game is what I'll call Mike's Booster Shot. Mike's Mike's dying to get to the next Dragon Age game, and Bioware said, "Well, here, do this for a while," and came out with a mobile game uh, called Dragon Age uh, Heroes. Heroes of Dragon Age. Yeah. Excuse me, Heroes of Dragon Age. And uh, so, Mike, I played this game too, but this is this is your thing. So go ahead, and I'll 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 tinker in. Well, yeah, it's called Heroes of Dragon Age, and basically the goal of it is is that you collect gold. And you use that gold to buy these little hero packs. And in those hero packs, you get some randomly generated um, character from the Dragon Age universe. And it could be anything from a basic character like a werewolf to, you know, Alistair, like a a named character. And, uh, you know, they're based off of their rarity from, you know, these basic little common ones that have like a little brown. They each have different colored stands for what level they are. So like basic brown ones are just your lower level normal ones. Your uncommons have silver, rare, or gold, and then above that is like green and orange, which are more your named characters. Those are the really, really hard ones to get. I haven't gotten a single one yet. But um, how you earn this gold in order to get these packs, of course, is by, you know, you can do one of two things. You can either go questing, where you play through this, uh, you know, there's a couple of levels in each of these maps. And each map plays through a very critical time period in the history of Thetis. So you have, like, the First Blight, or you have the... Uh, elves getting cursed and turned into werewolves, or the rise of the Dwarven Carta, um, all these big events. And so you go through and you fight these these battles to get to this final end, end boss that you have to beat. And you know when you beat that one, you move on to the next map. And you can also go through and master each quest um, by playing through a, a certain levels of increasing difficulty of that battle. And with those, you can unlock these little gems. And the gems you use to uh, unlock the really rare hero packs where you have a better chance of getting um, the rare heroes. Because the more you spend on each pack, the more chance you have for getting better stuff. So if you spend the basic 
you're more than likely going to end up with just a, a common, just a regular little brown one. You get the next higher one, you're you're at least going to get an uncommon. You get the next higher one, you're at least going to get a rare, and and so on. Um, so it, it's really fun. So you collect these characters to make up your squad. Your squad is is made up of of four basic characters and then one large creature. Um, and 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 what kind of characters you choose is is you know it, there's a strategy to it. Um, because basically two lines. The front line gets an extra bonus to their health. The back line gets an extra bonus to their if they have a chance of dealing two times damage. And with that, there's different factions. So uh, each faction is a color, and it's all based on where they fit in the Dragon Age universe. So like your basic humans are the white ones. Most of your mages and elves are like blue. Your mercenaries and um, animals are like red. And then your blighted stuff and undead are like black. And... If you put all your group as one color, then they get a bonus to damage, and they also, each group does bonus damage to another group. So there's a lot of strategy into going around, like how you put your team together. Um, you know, you really want to look at, like, what kind of characters you're going to be taking on, um, and uh, how you want your guys to mix together. There are also certain characters that are double colored, like there's Grey Wardens that are black and white, because they're humans, and they also have the blight inside them. <laughs> Um, so those guys add, add an interesting dynamic to your team. And then the other thing you can do is a, a kind of a form of PvP to earn gold. Um, that's where you take your crew and you go to do battles, and you battle just... It'll just basically, basically put up teams that other people have put together. So you're not actually fighting them, you're just fighting their group. Yeah, okay, yeah. Because you don't actively... In combat, you're not actively selecting anything. Your guys just randomly attack, and you just kind of see who wins. Um, the only way you can kind of affect how your team attacks is through runes that you can collect, same way by buying stuff. And the runes can either just do simple things like up their XP or gold or health or power, or it can actually do things like they'll attack the person with the lowest health more than likely, or they'll attack the person with the slowest attack time or, or, or whatever. Um, so you can kind of do a little bit more of a strategy that way. And then as you win these, you gain also trophies, which move you up the leaderboards. If you're concerned with that, I promise just do it for the money. But um, they've put, already put out a bunch of updates, kind of, uh, you know, tweaking things. Um, they've also been giving out a lot of free stuff, which is always nice. Yeah, this free, is real new, Rare right? characters. Yeah, it, it literally just came out in the U.S. anyway. Last month? Yeah. Or this month? It's been out in Europe, I think, for a while, but it just now came out um, in the U.S. recently. Um, but it's a lot of fun. If you guys ever played the, uh, the Facebook Marvel Avengers game, it's very similar to like that, you know, where you collect this squad and how each one kind of each group is a different kind of character and they have different bonuses against other characters. The only difference is, is you're not picking who they're attacking. It's kind of very random. But it's a quick little fun thing that you can do. Um, there's even a fast-forward button on the battle, so if you want to speed through it really quick, you can do that. I um, constantly use that. Oh, yeah. Because there's nothing to watch in the battle. Yeah. It's just you're going to win or lose. Yeah. Fire Emblem did that, too. You can just yeah. skip that whole... Yeah, but sometimes some of the, the guys have pretty cool attacks, and then some of them it's very basic. Like, some of them they just swing a sword, but other ones they use, like, Cone of Cold or Call Down Lightning or, or whatever. The dragons breathe fire. Mm. Um, so there's lots of really interesting kind of characters, and it's fun, uh, fun to see all of it. And they say they have characters not just from the games, but also from the novels, the comic books, all that stuff. Um, so if you're into all the other things. And it really, in a lot of ways, I think they even put it out there as this. It's just kind of to scratch that itch until the mm -hmm. until Inquisition comes out, really, is all it is. Um, so it's kind of a fun little simple thing. Like, when you're on the go, you, you know, you just want to pull out your phone do a couple of battles. You do have limited amount of stamina and energy, which are what do quests and PvP. 
or battles, I guess they call them. So you can only do so much, and then it has to replenish. But it replenishes pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. It doesn't Is take too long. Is there a microtransaction yes. option? Yes. You no, can buy the jewels. You can pay money for those. Anywhere from like a dollar to a hundred dollars to buy a certain amount. Yeah. And there lot. are people buying a lot. Although I've heard it's kind of... A lot of people weren't really thrilled with what they were getting for their jewels. Like, they'd spend all their money on these mm-hmm. jewels and then buy these packs and get just crap for characters. Yeah. Um, the really cool thing, though, is if you do get um, crappy characters or even get doubles, there's things to do with it. Um, if you get doubles, it's really nice because you can actually merge your characters together hmm. and they become a higher level version of that character. Oh, so they get cool. extra armor. It changes their look. Yeah, you can merge um, them up to four times. Yeah, wow. they, it becomes so like tier one, two, three, and four. Um hmm. And so uh, when you merge them, they gain an XP boost, so they gain XP faster. So if you get, like, uh, two low-level characters that are the same, you merge them together, you can level them up very quickly to get them up high. They also get um, a higher-level cap, which is really nice, especially for your lower-tier characters, if they're, like, a silver common or a common or or an uncommon or something. Getting them up to where they can level up to 30 or something is better than just being able to level up to, like, 15. Right. Um, you know, and it increases their stats, of course, as well. And then you can also consume heroes. So if you get some basic hero that you're not ever going to use and you don't really need them, what you can do is you can have another hero consume them, and it gives them their XP, plus it also increases their chance of doing double damage. So, you know, it's kind of... I like it a little bit better than... You know, I played that Avengers game, and with that one, I felt it really hard to get new characters. With this one, it's really easy, which I think is what makes it nice. The one problem is there is a lot of grinding involved. You mm-hmm. do it a lot of parts of the quests where you just don't have a characters that are high level enough yeah, to and deal that, with it. I noticed that happened really fast. Like I felt it like It did. Yeah, after about the second uh, the second quest line, you're kind of stuck and you got to sit there and and, and grind yeah. a lot. But it's not really so bad cuz you're really the whole point of the game is is getting new heroes. That's really your whole goal. The the storylines, there's not really much of a storyline to it. There kind of is, but it's very basic, and you're just kind of playing through the quests in order to get gold and gems in order to buy more heroes. So when you're grinding, you're still earning stuff in order to buy these, and it's really quick and easy. Um, so it's it's just kind of fun, and especially if you're into that universe, it, it's an enjoyable little experience just if you're on the go and you just want to pop on and get your little Dragon Age fix. It's kind of fun. Was this game actually made by Bioware, or was it yeah. a different studio? No, it's, it's Bioware and EA Capital Games, so mm-hmm. they actually made it, they produce it, yeah. they put out all the new stuff for it. The name's right on the thing when you load it up. So. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, and it's got all, pretty much any kind of character you can think of. It's got a lot of characters even I haven't heard of. They're from like the comic books and stuff that. that I haven't gotten into, but there's a lot of stuff from, like, you know, I read the novels, I played through all the games and all the DLCs, so there's a lot of characters from that. Um, there's a lot of different versions, you know, like there's King Alistair, there's regular Alistair, there's Grey Warden Bethany, there's regular Bethany, you know. <laughs> Ice damage Batman. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's, it's fun, it's simple, and, you know, I'm not saying like I'll sit there and play it forever or even ever spend a dime on it, which I, I know I won't. But it's it's fun just for the time being, just if I have time to kill and I'm sitting around. And you get to go back to Thetis. Exactly. Oh, She's been that. dying to go back there. I know. I've been dying for some Dragon Age. Although, I just want one of the rare, like, orange or blue characters. I just want one. Because I keep fighting these people that have these really awesome, like, characters, like Duncan or, or like, a High Dragon. And I'm like, I want one of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't want to pay for them. That's why you no. keep chasing that character. There you go. That's right. Chase the dragon. <laughs> Okay, so, so neat. So uh, I love that just hodgepodge of things that we had. So um, the next thing we're going to talk about, because you know we get into topics a lot here, is uh, I have an anecdote to start this. So uh, I was at GameStop the other day, 
And, um, you know, I see that there's an Xbox One and a PlayStation 4 set up. So, of course, I'm just kind of looking at them while I'm standing in line. And um, on the Xbox One, I think it was, they were playing a racing game. And I think it was Forza 5. I think it's the only one. They and um, they're driving it. And the, and the kid who's playing, he goes, I just hear him go, oh, well, that won't do. And he just, all, all of a sudden, his car's going backwards. And I realize he's rewinding the game. Mm-hmm. I was like, you made a mistake. He's like, oh no. And he's just erasing his mistake. Um, ironically, he made a much worse mistake the next time. This wasn't like Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, the racing game or something? Like yeah, they just rewound it whatever he wanted. And I was That's like, not what happened. And immediately I got thinking like, why, why, did, why does it have to be that easy? We're like, oh, don't worry about your mistakes. We'll just fix it. Like, And it bothered me. And I started thinking like, well, let me think about this. Like, I feel like games are, you know, getting... Really easy. Really easy. To the point where it's almost like the game developers think, like, if this game is hard, our audience will hate it. And, uh, or not even hard, just challenging. Mm. They'll hate it. And I just wanted to open that up and see what you guys thought about that. Because that's, you know, I mean, certainly back in the day with old consoles, games were almost too, like, some games are punishingly hard. And I understand if you don't want to play Super Meat Boy. You know, like, okay, maybe that's not your thing. Dark Souls. Or, you know, I mean, it's Chris's thing, but maybe it's not everybody's thing. So, like, I get if you don't want a game so punishingly hard that you don't have fun, but at the same time, for me, a lot of games, the challenge is part of what's fun because it's rewarding to overcome those challenges, right? To improve, whether it's an RPG by leveling and getting more powerful and being able to pass it, or just building your skill in this shooter game and, you know, and... Bioshock and you're like, okay, well, I've, I've gotten better at how to fight these guys and I've learned the style of how they fight and I can beat them and things like that. Like, that to me is a big part of of what's enjoyable about a lot of games. So, I mean, what do you guys think about that? Are you seeing this trend too? Do you think that's actually happening or am I just crazy? And what do you think about that? No, I think a lot of it has to do with now game companies have to sell to a much broader audience. So they just, you know, it's they're trying to make money. So if you make a game that's too difficult, not as many people are going to buy it. Which, I mean, I guess Dark Souls kind of proved that one wrong, because they're like, ah, still a lot of people buy this. But I, I think overall, though, it's kind of the same reason why they typically make movies PG-13 over R, because you're going to sell more tickets yeah. to a PG-13 movie than to R movie. If you make a game that's ridiculously, punishingly hard, you might get less people who want to buy it, you know? Um, but it depends. And I think also now... Compared with the old school Nintendo games, nowadays you have difficulty levels. Mm-hmm. Like back in the day, there was no such thing as a difficulty level. Right. It was one difficulty, and it just and it was hard killed you, and you <laughs> had one chance. There weren't saved games. Like think about how oh, much yeah. easier saved games. Have I remember made. when saved games first showed up because it revolutionized RPGs. Everybody thought it was the greatest thing in yeah. the world because yeah. you could actually stop playing a game and walk away and start playing where you left off. Or you know, if you screwed up and died, you could start off where you saved it. I mean, so I think that totally made games easier in so many ways. But allowed them to make those games more challenging, too. Exactly. And I because think that's then, the thing. If, yeah, so it wasn't just I think it's easier, finding it's the different. balance. I think, yes, in some ways, games are easier, but I think it's just because they didn't find the balance properly. Because I think there is a way to find a balance between having a lot of these more updated abilities like saved games and difficulty levels and stuff and still making it hard. And I think the difficulty levels is really where they find it. Like, you look at a game like Dead Space. If you played through regularly, it could be kind of tough and maybe challenging at times. For the most part, I didn't really find a huge challenge normal. But if you played it on like the nightmare mode, it only gave you three saved games. 
Like, mm -hmm. you can only save the game three times, and you had to make it through the whole game. So if you use those save games right at the beginning, anytime you died from then on, you had to start all the way back over there. So to me, like, that is just... You think about that, or um, think about with, um, with Path of the Exile, with the, if you play it on their hardcore mode, it's permadeath for your character. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine playing an RPG where you leveled up this character, got all these cool abilities and all this great armor and loot, and then bam, you die and you lose everything. Yeah. Well, Diablo's done that for years. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways, you know, I think it's it's finding the balance there. I definitely do think there are a lot of games. Like, we talked about Diablo. Like, Normal was really, really easy, mm -hmm. you know, even with just playing by yourself. But, of course, they added all these harder levels that are harder. So, I think that was just their way to try to cater to maybe non-Diablo fans. Yeah, it, it, uh, it's hard to say because you're right. I think that part of it is that the industry has to kind of serve multiple masters now because it's like we got into this at the age that we did because that's kind of just like where the industry was. Mm -hmm. I mean, we we were lucky enough to be like at this sweet spot of, you know, seven or eight years old when the home console market kind of revitalized itself. Like video games outside of the arcade were dead just a couple of years before we were born and the Atari had imploded on itself, and then this crazy Japanese company decided they wanted to try to push this console, and was this huge success. So, I mean, we grew, literally grew up with these things, and, you know, like Jared said, like, you would, you would play these hard games, because that was the game that you had, and since it was the game you had, it was awesome, right. because that's what you had, and, you know, until you started being able to do stuff like rent games and things like that, but, um... Which is awesome, right? Like, you think mm -hmm. back to that? Like, oh, yeah. the, we got to see that start. Like, I always wanted to get there as early as I could on Friday because I knew I had to take it back Sunday and I wanted to maximize You wanted to have that time. whole time. I want to go right after school. Yeah, so, so, part of it is that you, you, you think about it, like, if, if video games, as we know them now, have their origins in arcade gaming, okay, and you can kind of, you could pick your starting point at PCs or whatever, but let, let's say, like, the games kind of started with arcades. Like, what were arcades designed to do? Like, they were designed to eat money. Mm -hmm. Like, they were designed to, you know, give you just enough progress to make you feel like you wanted to put more money in so that you could keep making just a little bit more progress. Mm -hmm. Like, I heard somebody the other day say, like, essentially arcade games were microtransactions. Like, if you think mm -hmm. about it, oh, like, yeah. you were just paying incrementally for the ability to make, like very small progress on most games. Now, you might pick your individual games that you really love, and you might be able to make it through the Ninja Turtles arcade game on one quarter, and then you could have, like, bragging rights oh, for that, because good. that... But think about the amount of money you would have, have invested to yeah, get to that good. point. Like, exactly. And that's and that's totally separate from things like, you know, Donkey Kong or Pac-Man, which for the common person does not have an ending. You're not going to reach the kill screens for those things if you're a little kid. Mm -hmm. That's taken people decades to be able to do that kind of thing. So once we move into where you know, we're taking these experiences home, I think hard is a reasonable starting point based on where those games came from because mm -hmm. they were designed to be difficult enough to keep you playing. Now, as the industry continues to age, you still have people that are going to continue coming in at that younger age period to the point where we're reaching this, like, terrifying singularity where, you know, they have these studies proving that, like, rural African children in villages intuitively know how to use iPads, like, with no instruction. That's weird. Like, that's just weird. And, you know, everybody who I know who are our age who has kids, 
Like, they know how to use a smartphone. They know how to mm-hmm. use a tablet. Like, they're growing up with a level of technology that we don't understand. My, I don't teach my daughter how to do that. Yeah, no. She it kills me when she when she turns on my phone. I'm like, darn it. <laughs> how do you know to swipe the screen? I don't. I didn't even want you to know that. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy because of technology. So, but at the same time, there's still a grammar to games that you have to learn. You have to grow through. Now, we used to have to do things like... Uh, read instruction booklets that came with the game, so kind of get an idea of what things were like. Maybe uh, a game we were interested in was in an issue of Nintendo Power, so maybe we'd have a map to go on or something like that. So we wouldn't have to draw it on graph paper, but we had very <laughs> few things to help us out ahead that. of time. Exactly, you had to. Yeah. My Metroid map was epic, um, but but nowadays, you know, what's taken the place of that is stuff like. Uh, you know, easing difficulty levels, or even more than that, the thing that drives me freaking crazy about some modern games, and Nintendo is probably worse about it than anybody else, is this constant coddling and hand-holding. Like, a game like Dead Space, I thought was really, really amazing because they were able to take everything you would need on screen in a video game and condense that all into what was on your physical body armor. Like, all of the HUD was on your rig. Like, your your health, your remaining ammo, like, the screen was totally uncluttered. But if you look at, like, most games, not only do you have your life and your time remaining and your mana or whatever it is, like, kind of all over the place, but it's also these constant Mm pop-ups of, like, walking into an NPC and they're like, you've been playing for a while, maybe take a break. And it's like, don't forget to hold B to run fast. It's like these constant reminders about, like, you know, and, and these are very specific kinds of games, like a Mario game or something like that. I don't think you'd find that in, like, a new, like, hardcore, you know, the Gears the, of War. The most recent Devil May Cry probably didn't have that kind of stuff. Yeah. But they probably had some kind of extended tutorial level. I mean, that's mm-hmm. pretty basic in most games. Well, a lot of those give you the option to skip those now, though. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's like with, I mentioned Gears of War, they'd always have, like, a rookie that meet you, and they'd be like, you want to show the rookie around? And you'd be like, no. And then you just skip the tutorial. Right, 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 right. So, so like, that, more than anything else, kind of drives me crazy. So, on the one hand, like, I can't complain too much about the, the difficulty levels because I, I like that that allows you to sort of... I, 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 I like the idea that, you know, a couple different people can get something out of a specific game by making a couple small tweaks. Um, I mentioned in an earlier episode of the podcast a games writer named Tom Bissell who wrote a book called Extra Lives, which was kind of about video games and his experience with video gaming. He was the lead writer for Gears of War Judgment, um, so he knows his way around things. And he, in a, a podcast interview I heard with him, made this real interesting omission that, um, you know, he said, when you sit down to play a game on a console, you should always play it on the hardest difficulty mode, because that was the game that they designed. He said, game designers never start from easier and then design up harder. They always design the hardest version of the game. So that's the game they made, and then they find ways to scale it back. Well, they have to make it doable. If you start off in normal and then work your way up to hard, you might make it impossible. Like, they actually did that with, um, there was a problem they hit with uh, Diablo Mm 3. When it originally came out on PC, if you played it on the highest Inferno, there was literally... Enemies you run into that were invulnerable, like you could not kill them, right? Because <laughs> they were just so ridiculously overpowered, it, you just 
couldn't go anywhere. So it was a glitch that they had to go in and fix. Right. But it was basically because that's how the game was designed to kind of create... Because it creates... Every time you walk into an area, it's different enemies. Yeah, yeah. So it would create these enemies that were just way beyond anybody's skill to kill. That were actually impossible for yes, anybody to Yes, they were literally them. invulnerable. Like, yeah. nobody could do damage to them because they were impervious to everything. Yeah. Oh What's so, an interesting concept. So, it, so it's... And, you know, and, and it's funny because, like... Uh, the Fire Emblem game that I played recently, like, you know, that that's a series that's always featured permadeath, and that's uh, an aspect of that series that keeps a, a lot of people away from it, and it's one of the reasons why I never appreciate it very much. That game that came out, which has been, like, the most popular one in the series' history, because probably it's on a very, very popular system right now, um, you had the ability to sort of play this new mode where permadeath was off. Which a lot of people cry foul and go, but that's the whole point of the game! Like, why... Mm-hmm. why but, you know, maybe for somebody who that was enough to keep them away from it, now they can experience it, but that's it, it's still not the, the main way the game is meant to be played. Then they make it very clear that that's not the main way the game is meant to be mm-hmm. played. What's the game that makes you wear some, like, pink scarf or something if you dial down the difficulty? That was something that came out recently. No, that wasn't know. Years of War. It wasn't Borderlands. I forget, but there was actually a thing like that. It was basically, like, you having to, like, be seen and so like yeah like you're playing sissy mode or something like that which no, I thought was funny. kind of funny so they're like yeah we'll put this mode in here but you know if you have to use it what's wrong with yeah, you well, it's, you know I think um, sorry Mike I think one of the things that I've noticed though is like, I like having difficulty levels there too because it allows you to cater your experience a little bit but I think when I really I, I guess maybe what I'm getting at more is when I think about normal mode on games mm. even once there's been difficulty levels like if I think about normal mode on Metal Gear Solid that was challenging. When I think of normal mode, which is often what I load on most games now, it's fairly easy. Yeah. It's fairly it's what I would have thought of as easy mode previously. And I think that's and the hard thing. mode is what I would have thought of as normal. Yeah. I think you know? they changed it. If you look at a lot of games, like if you look at Diablo 3, it didn't have anything below normal. It was just right. normal. I think normal has become the new easy. But I've seen normal not be the easiest. There's yeah. easy, yeah, the normal, hard, and there's some whatever very crazy easy. name. But I think that's the thing is so many games are, are trying to come up with all these cool, interesting names for like Nightmare, Inferno Mode, all these crazy higher ones that because of that, they can only go so far down from that if they make too many, they don't want to make too many difficulties. Well, just levels. use cool names. What do you need yeah. normal or easy at all for then? It's yeah, not like you have to have them if you yeah. If you can replace the the hard difficulties, yeah. replace the easy ones too. Uh, but uh, it was interesting. I was thinking about what you were talking about with uh, Dead Space and the HUD. Uh, you know, I've been playing uh, Assassin's Creed Four, and in it, there's a mode where you can turn off all the HUD, hmm. where you are like literally your health, your ship's health, your wanted level, you know, your your little mini map. It's kind of neat. Everything you were just playing like as you're an actual pirate running around. Hmm. So you have to kind of manage without it. So. That's the interesting thing, too. you ever thing, do that? You know, psh, no, I don't even want to try that. That's <laughs> scary. No, that's pirate. the whole thing is, is, like, Assassin's Creed doesn't have a difficulty level. It is just the game. If you yeah. find it too easy, well, then, tough. But I think a lot of games do this instead. Rather than making difficulty levels, they find little tweaks that you can do to make it a little bit more difficult, you know, whether it's, you know, affecting things like that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's another way I think that... I think the whole thing is games just trying to find that balance between making it accessible to everybody because they got to make money. It's a game... Or it's a money-making industry. Game-making is. So, you know, they have to make money off of it. Like the game... The the game you were just talking about where they you know, took away the permadeath. Well, you know what? That probably sold them quite a few extra copies of games. Especially mm-hmm. if you said it was successful. It might have been because of that. 
So I think a lot of games are trying to find that balance between, you know, trying to get a lot of people to buy this, but yet also still trying to make it challenging for those core gamers, those people that, no, I only want a game that's really going to push me or something like that. Or if I play through it and I don't like it, I'm just going to trade it in and then somebody else will buy it used and you don't get any of that money. And I think yeah. part of it, too, like, now that I think about it, is, like, I've heard a lot of, like, I've talked to people recently about this, and and I don't, I'm interested to get your feedback, because I think it directly ties in for, for us into this discussion, is um, I've been hearing people talk about stuff like, I don't know if it's, like, fighting games, or just shooters, or whatever, like, people, you know, because as gaming is, you know, concerned, we are the older guys, right? Because mm-hmm. we're, like, in our 30s, like, we're not <laughs> in freshman year of college like i don't know what whatever i mean we're still i think younger than whatever the average we are now so it's it's kind of skewed but like i feel like my skill set for whatever you want to call that my gaming skill set has only improved as i've continued to play video games like Mm -hmm. i've heard people complain about like oh i just can't play gradius anymore because i don't have the reflexes i used to or i can't beat mike tyson anymore because i just can't play like i used to I don't feel like that's been a problem for me, mm-hmm. and maybe it's because I've just continued to play these things. Like, maybe if I took 10 years off and tried to jump back in. Like, I can't imagine I try going go from, back. like, an NES and then hand somebody, like, a 360 controller. They'd be like, what What am I supposed to do with this thing? There's 27 buttons on this thing. Mm-hmm. Like, but, like, you know, we since we've adapted to this, like, we had to learn how shoulder buttons work with a Super Nintendo, and that's really... Well, there's four of these things? That's okay, but I still know how the D-pad works. You know, analogs, what? A one on the N64? With two? Like, what? what is this? But, it, like, as the grammar changed, like, we were learning with it. Mm-hmm. So, I think that since our sort of skills have just continued to stack, maybe stuff like this stands out more to us, because, like, we've just been progressing with these things as it's gone. So maybe if you're jumping in at an earlier point, you didn't, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, we've been speaking this language since we were children. So we've just, it's, it's, a, it's our shared language. Like it's mm. just, you don't even think about it. You know what I mean? Like you could just, I could put a controller, like I could put the Ouya controller in your hands and you'd be like, oh yeah, I basically know, okay, if I was a shooter, this would be aimed. This would, like you just understand intuitively, like certain things work certain ways. Like, it'll be interesting if we get our hands on this Steam controller that doesn't have analog sticks to figure out if we can learn oh, this yeah, new way pad, to interact yeah, with these things. Like but, but I think, I mean, I can't disagree with you that this general trend sort of goes into a way that shows that, yeah, I think things are getting easier. Because if that wasn't true, then I don't think that there would really be any kind of notable fan base behind games like Demon Souls and Dark Souls. Because mm-hmm. I feel like those were just, you know, they're the new DuckTales. I mean, that that's oh. how hard they are. I mean, but the, the, we made it through those games, and really there's nothing about the Souls games that is insurmountable. Like... If, if I forced you guys to sit down and play those games, Never. you would play them from start to finish, and you would beat them. And you do get an incredible sense of accomplishment when you make it from area to area. As long as you kind of creep through the game carefully, you're fine. Like, you're not going to get significantly set back. But because it is this, like, traditional, well, what we might call traditional level of difficulty, which most people aren't used to now. Like, yeah, it, it feels punishing, I guess, in comparison to most other things that are going on right now. Like, I can't really think of a game other than Diablo 3 recently where I played through it and at the end of it went like, wow, that was really easy. 
maybe I won, you know, maybe I would have no opinion about the difficulty because it never really seemed to get in my way. I, what I notice more now is difficulty spikes. Like, mm-hmm. I'll notice where I'm going through a game in a certain yeah. way, and all of a sudden, like, whoop, like, whoa, where the heck did this come from? Mm-hmm. Because I wasn't, but like, I felt Dead Space 2 did that really significantly in about the three-quarter mark of that game, and it infuriated me. And I bumped down the difficulty so I could just keep making progress. But And I think that's a failure of game design. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. So I, I agree. And, I mean, does it hurt me in my gaming ability? I guess not. Um, I haven't gone that extra step of following that advice of just always starting from hard mode. Like, I just, I don't. I Some don't of these why. games, though, the hardest modes are, they're, they're just not, they're fun. called stuff like insane for a reason. Right. Or and, the... and, and there's just no fun to them. It's not enjoyable. Like, it's just punishing, you know? And it's like, who wants to just sit there and get punched in the face repeatedly? Yeah. I mean, I find some of those modes I have success with because I've beaten the game and I under I have a good understanding of the game yeah. now. Not only the mechanic, but also literally sometimes even the layout. Yeah. Sometimes those things are important. And that's when I enjoy playing those hard difficulties. I mean, Mike and I and almost all the Gears of War games have played it on Insane together on co-op. Right. And there were a lot of times where we There were a couple times we got a little like, frustrated. But like, ultimately, I've, didn't it feel awesome to beat no, that game? No, and it does, yeah. And just like, I played through all the Mass Effect games on Insanity, mm-hmm. the highest level. Number one, of course, because there was an achievement for it, <laughs> and you know how I am. And it, because I got to complete those games. Those games are in my completed list. Okay, so, so get off me. But anyway, also just because I love the game so much, and that was the whole thing, is in order to get to the insanity, uh, number one, you pretty much had to play through the game on normal because it was designed for a character that was, well, like, that level, one was. like 60 and yeah, up. Right. So you had to almost play through it before. Right. But I think it helped you also because then you, you knew how to play it. You knew it. I mean, just jumping into a Mass Effect game and playing it on insanity, even if they made it to where you could do that... Right would be ridiculous just because you would just have no idea what to do and the nice thing is like me like I played so much like I knew what like what enemies were coming up I knew what their weaknesses were I knew the best uh, squad members to take with me to take those on so for that yeah I mean I like playing the incredibly hard difficulties a lot of times just because they are fun and they are challenging but not to start out with no I like to start out where I can actually sit there and enjoy the game and and just kind of play through it and then I challenge myself with it yeah, and it's funny because I, I guess that, that maybe that is the change is that when games do feel like unfairly hard now, we we are relatively intolerant of it. Like if 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 the what was it called in Bioshock Infinite nineteen ninety nine mode, mm-hmm. um, like if that had been the default game mode, and you found yourself in the first couple stages of the game just repeatedly dying, dying over and over, like we're we only have so much time we can put into these things these days. We have so many more responsibilities of family and work and just adultness um, (laughs) that, you know, we don't have an unlimited amount of time to be able to sink into these things, which there were times in our lives where we might, for even a short period of time, have unlimited amount of time to sink into these things. Yeah, I mean... Play Nintendo. Exactly. So you you could just beat your head against that brick wall if you wanted to. I, I can't remember a lot of games as a little kid where I just out of hand, would dismiss them because of difficulty. Mm-hmm. More more so, it would be difficult because I didn't understand what I was supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, I just if I didn't understand it, then I just like, no, yeah, I, you're broken. This must be broken. This game is a mistake. It's cheating. Yeah, it's, it's cheating. cheating. It's not fair. Mm-hmm. It's cheating. But, yeah, if I could figure out what I was supposed to be doing, then you can develop the skills that get you there. And sometimes that progress is very, very slow. And now we have to kind of make this decision of, 
is the reward at a level that it makes it worth it for me to continue through this slog? I mean, you guys have hit your head against that in the repeated playthroughs of Borderlands. Like, you've gotten to points where you're like, yeah, I hit a ceiling now. And something has got to get you to help push it through, whether it's another person or going back and having to revisit something else. But mm-hmm. it, it, that's not a constant progression. You do get to a point where... And for a lot of people, that might be like, you know what, this is awesome, and now I'm going to go do something else. And they never make it past that. And I think that's the thing, is I think with a lot of people, especially with, I think we're kind of spoiled nowadays, where if we do hit a hard part, we can just lower the difficulty, or we can save and walk away, or, or whatever. Like, that's the whole thing. Back in the day, you didn't have a choice. You either played through it, or you just gave up on the game, which, you know, wasn't always like an option. Some people were like, I have to finish this. But nowadays, it's like that, we, we have tons of other games we can play or we can you know just lower the difficulty or save it and come back later or do whatever you know like now we have such a huge plethora of games to choose from that you know if you make your game super hard well there's so many other competition out there that made a game that people can actually play through easily so they might go out and get that instead yeah back then there weren't that many games on consoles so it's like you just had these couple of games and they were all kind of built to be like pretty hard so yeah and it's interesting like a a game that i just talked about in this episode gone home it essentially contains literally no challenge Mm -hmm. there there is literally no challenge to it like so would you even call that a game so you know it's its own kind of thing yeah so that's what makes it unique so that you know that's a, a a big for what it is I'm using air quotes in a podcast again. Um, game, you know, that, that doesn't involve that traditional sort of challenge. It would be interesting to take somebody who was like, you couldn't do this with like a six year old, but take somebody who's like a 12 year old and just give them demon souls and just say, here's, here's how you move. Here's how you roll. Here's how you swing your sword. Here's how you hold your shield. Now just, this is your game you get to play now. And like, what would they do with that? Because like, if that was what they were given, and you told them this is the best game ever made, and you're going to be a better person for having played it. Like, would they find a way to slog through it the way that we did at that age with those games? Probably it's hard not. to say because they've seen so many other. Mm-hmm. They've been able to, you know, fling their birds and their boomerangs, and you know, like, yeah, be able to tap on things, to, and that's the game. So I don't know. I mean, maybe for a particular kind of person, yeah, that would be pretty awesome. I mean. Kid, there are still kids who want to figure out the minutia of like really complex tabletop games. I mean, that's that's not easy. Like, that's very difficult and can be very unfriendly depending on the systems. But like, there's some eleven year old somewhere playing Call of Cthulhu. I don't doubt figuring it out or figuring out like second edition Dungeons and Dragons like by themselves, like with no help from anybody else. So I don't. So I mean, based on our observations, what we're seeing, I mean, do we feel like something should change? Like, is there a different way these these that games could be approached that we would we would think was more uh, intriguing or we would think is more fair or we would think is more interesting. Well, one of the things I've seen that I like, which is basically the, hey, we're going to offer challenge to you, is they, they basically, you know, like, literally they'll have challenges, you know, like, and maybe it was a little overused in, like, Years of War Judgment, but things like that, where they basically you come up, they're like, okay, you have this next section, oh, but... Uh, you know, and you can complete it, and that's cool. Or you can get this bonus thing when you complete it in under a minute. Mm-hmm. Or, or it's like what Assassin's Creed does, Jesus. where yeah. you know, do it while you know poisoning three guards or something like that. Sure. Which even with them, some of theirs, 
Like, some of those are just ridiculously easy where I don't even have to really try. It's just kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll just do that. And then some of them are like, are you are you kidding me? Air assassinates three guards while poisoned, uh, while an apple rolls down the street. Yeah, well, there was like, a perfect example was for for Black Flag, and one of the, almost, one of the first levels where you even have a boat to fight stuff with, you have to do this thing where it shows, where you learn pirating. And in it, there's a bonus thing where if you, you know, sink a hunter vessel, which is basically kind of like in Grand Theft Auto, if you build up too much of a wanted level and all the army comes out to get you, that's basically what happens. If you build up too much of a wanted level in Black Flag, the Navy comes out to get you. And it's these big, huge ships with tons and tons of cannons and way too much armor and fast as all get out and will just hunt you down and kill you unless you get to some place to lose your wanted level. And part of the, the extra thing to fully sink this memory was to sink one of these ships. Well, I said, oh, sure, yeah, I'm pretty good at this. You know, I played three, and I was great at it. So I went and picked a fight with one. Wow. I was like, I don't understand. They shot me, like, once, and I was almost dead. I don't understand how it is someone could pull this off, you know, in such an early level without upgrading your ship or anything like that. But apparently they must feel somebody would be able to do it, I guess, if you learned a certain trick or something like that. But but that's what I'm saying is sometimes those little extra challenges are you're treading a thin line between making it more challenging or, you know, you don't want to make it too easy because you don't want it to be just something that you just tacked on. You just don't feel the like heck you accomplished anything. Yeah. yeah, but you don't want to make it too hard to where people can't do it and then they miss out on this thing because I like to get 100% sync because, you know, hopefully it's an achievement. And then, there you go. But now I can't because I can't beat this stupid boat, you know. So eventually, I just get tired of it. And I'm like, fine, and I just move on I'll to the next level. Huh. And another thing too that I think can help expedite the difficulty thing. I don't think games need to get easier. But one of the things I found that drives me nuts is if you think about the actual like behavior of dying in a game or being defeated. I think that like my level of enjoyment is, like, directly proportional with the amount of time that it takes for me to get back into the game. Oh, so yes. if I think about something like Trials or, like, Super Meat Boy, like, you died and you, like, half a second later are right back into... The, like, if I crash my bike, I just press Y or whatever it is, and, oh, I'm right back to that last checkpoint, like, literally right back to it. But if you're in the middle of a game that has you, like, in a difficult boss battle where you know you've still got, like, three more forms to go through and you're not going to be able to, like, regen your health... And then you have to sit through like a 30 second load screen and then a four minute cutscene that you can't skip. Oh, like that God. is just like, that's like a controller throwing disc breaking moment. Mm-hmm. Where is... like, now maybe one of the things we can do with these really, really powerful systems is take dumb stuff like that that I think is really like a hardware limitation and like remove that barrier. Because I feel like then I don't mind being punished or abused mm-hmm. if I can just immediately go, that's what I did wrong, and then go right back into it. Like, right. if they could make that even smaller in the Souls games, maybe if, if Dead Souls or Dark Souls 2 can figure out how to, like, let you die and then immediately respawn, like, that's going to be, like, a really deep rabbit hole to fall down. Because then you're, like, because that game is about learning based on your mistakes. Like, okay, that's what I did wrong. I won't do it again. If I go right back in and apply that feedback, like, that'd be awesome. But, like, with modern games, like, being what they are, like, having to sit through those freaking load screens. Yeah, like, well, and, oh, always one of my pet peeves. And my checkpoint was an hour and a half ago, and there was no autosave or no quick save. Like, it just... That that's a that's a design mistake. Like, yeah. that's just like I always hate it when games number one make it where you can't skip cutscenes. Number two, especially when they put that thing where it's like 
a really hard battle right after a really long cutscene. So you're stuck every yeah. You, every time you die, you have to listen to that same chatter going on to where you can pretty much monologue it yourself. Yeah. Is annoying. I mean, and you also look at games like you know I love Bethesda games, but if you die in a Bethesda game, well first it has to do the long load screen to get to you to where you make a choice of what you want to do next. You know right. whether you want to go to the main menu or start over or, or load a game. Well, then you load a game. Well, then you have to wait for another really long load screen, because all Bethesda games, especially like Skyrim, have these huge load screens. Not to mention that usually with a Bethesda game, every load screen is a risk of completely crashing your console. <laughs> so you want to do as few as possible. So dying is like, that's two extra load screens you're adding on, so that's two chances for your you know Xbox just to do it, eh, and done. Right. So, yeah, I mean, by all means, I think it's like, yes, making it to where it's like, if you could die, you could pop right back up, that'd be great, but doesn't that kind of start trading our line where we say, well, does that make it too easy? Yeah. Does that make it, shouldn't there be kind of almost like a punishment for dying? Some kind of penalty, yeah. I mean, it depends like on the Like, maybe game. as much as we hate those load screens and that cutscene, well, that'll teach you not to die anymore. <laughs> if If you felt like, yeah, as long as you're dying because of, you know, your own growth and mistakes not because you feel like you were like something was cheap because that's another thing with those like with dark souls and demon souls like there are no cheap death in those games like you just you made a mistake you stopped paying attention so you're like all right cool i get it i screwed up like i I put my shield down to look at this thing over here so there are ways around it yeah but i still think there are probably people out there who are like that was cheap even oh absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. everybody said their game cheated even though it's like nobody programmed the game to cheat Everybody right. believed that people... And how great that we now have online multiplayer, because now people can claim lag is the new, my game cheated. Or hacking. Lag, lag. You're a hack, you, you hacked the game. Hacksaurus. That's why you're beating me. Whatever, Hacksaurus. <laughs> you're a cheater. Oh, yeah. Boy, oh, Actually, boy. I see that all the time. Anytime I'm, I'm getting out of here. You guys totally cheat, Zorus. <laughs> I like the, they have the Zorus on the other words. Yeah. That's how you can tell they're mature and smart. Oh, kids. <laughs> And this is why I play online with my friends. That's right. Okay. So, all right. Well, that was cool. So, um, uh, you know, if you have any ideas about that, you know, you can hit us up on the Facebook, um, Use Gamers at Facebook or on the Twitter uh, account, uh, Use Gamers, and we'll have to hear about that. So, all right. So that was uh, fun. Fun. I like it. Interesting. I it was wasn't too difficult. It wasn't yeah, too it difficult. Was I was just mode. interested to hear what you guys thought about that. So yeah, that's, that's I feel like fun. I accomplished something. Well, there you Probably go. I'm rewarded. So it was worth it. <laughs> it was worth it. Um, so anyway, uh, wrapping up this episode. So again, uh, I'm Jared. I'm Chris. I'm Mike. And we are the Use Gamers. We'll see you next episode, guys.
so that's, this is a pretty e a little easier flow, so. You guys ready? You have to think of weird transitions on the fly. We are ready. Speaking of games that came out this year, you can use that transition for everything. That's it. And now for something only <laughs> slightly different. 